You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Good morning, church. I am Craig, and I get to be a pastor this morning bringing you uh, God's Word. If you've got a copy of God's Word, would you turn with me uh, to 2 Kings chapter 5? If you're going to use one of the Bibles that's in the pocket in front of us, I did the research. It's on page 311, okay? So if you need that, go there. You might get quicker. Uh, But 2 Kings chapter 5 is our text. We're going to be talking about about a servant, and we're going to be talking about a general today. Before we get to that particular text, let me point you to this one verse in the New Testament in James' epistle, uh, a familiar verse, I think, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, watch this, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In many ways, that sentence there is going to frame out our message. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, I did a little research in my, in my preaching, and I realized that it's been about a year, a year and a half since I have drawn out a diagram by hand as to what a verse looks like. So I've done this for this verse to help you understand this. Okay, here's what James 4, verse 6 looks like. God opposes the proud. This is God at work in opposing the proud and then giving grace to the humble. Now, what I want to ask you as we walk through the text in just a second, and and as we're going to see this story that we're going to read in the Old Testament is a perfect illustration of this particular passage in James. But what I want to ask you, even before we begin, and ask you to ask yourself over and over again through this message, is what side am I on? Is there areas in my life this morning where God is opposing me because of pride? and wants to give grace to me, but wants me humble. What what side am I on? You see, so much is at stake here. Uh, Because I need the grace of God in my life this morning. I don't know about you, but I need the grace of God in my family, with my kids, with my wife, with my parents. I need the grace of God in my home. I need the grace of God at work. I need the grace of God to, to, to daily bear up under sin and temptation. I need the grace of God to walk by faith in a broken, hurting world. I need the grace of God this morning. But sometimes I think that God is at work in my life breaking down the pride first. So much pride so that he can give grace to me. So much is at stake here this morning. Maybe there's areas of your life where you need the grace of God to be working in, but God's working in right now and tearing down the pride that you don't think you have. Again, God's word is a perfect picture for us today, and if you're going to leave with one truth today, it's basically this, God, please humble me that I might see the grace of God in my life. God, 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 please humble me. God, I want to choose humility so that I could find grace. I will humble myself so that I could find grace. God, please humble me today. Let's leave James 4, 6 behind. Let's go to our text in 2 Kings chapter 5. I want to introduce you to the general. And as we walk through our passage today, I'm going to ask you two questions. They're going to be our guiding questions. Uh, The guiding question, uh, it'll frame our outline. The first question for you, this is point number one in our outline. It's this, am I a proud person? Am I a proud person? Because here's the truth from God's word. Well, then God will oppose me. 
God will oppose me. And, and as we're going to walk through this, and I, 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 we're going to get to the text in a second, I swear. Uh, but underneath point number one, I'm going to give you characteristics of a prideful heart. And they all begin with P. You'll recognize them. They're not going to come up on the screen. I didn't do that. I'm sorry. That's annoying. I know. Forgive me. I'm just a substitute teacher. Uh, <laughs> But they're going to be characteristics, and we're going to run our hearts through that checklist, and we're going to say, okay, is there, is there pride in my life right now, in an area specifically in my life? Is there pride that's happening right now? And, and you know that old saying, if it, if it swims like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. If it swims like pride, if it quacks like pride, it's probably going to be pride. I'll show you what I mean. Let's ask ourselves the question as we begin today. God, is there something that you need to show me in my life? Let's meet the general. And let me give you the first thing about pride. It's pride in position, pride in position. Pride in position, which says, I'm better than you. Let me explain. Verses 1 and 2, now our text, yay. Verse 1, 2 Kings 5. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor. Because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor. But he was a leper. He was a man in need of God's grace. Verse 2. Look at the contrast. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. You see the contrast the text has put in front of us? We've been introduced to a commander, a chief, a big guy, a powerful man's man. He reported to the king. He was a mighty man of valor. He was favored. He was respected on one side. And then in verse 2, we're introduced to a little servant girl, a servant girl specifically from Israel, a place where Naaman, the mighty general, would have raided a place where likely Naaman, the mighty general, and his forces saw to the death of this little girl's parents, likely an orphan, and now working for the man who's responsible. But this little girl, this humble little girl, in her little position knows something that this great man in his awesome position doesn't know. He knows that there's a prophet in Samaria and he can help. So she passes the word to Naaman's wife who reports it to him. Presumably, look at verse three. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, that's the king, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, and this is in my best king voice, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. Naaman, with pride in his heart and pride in his position, naturally goes to the most important person in the kingdom. He goes to the king. Notice we have no record at all of Naaman ever speaking directly with the little servant girl. We have no record even of him speaking with his wife. And why would we? Because this man is a powerful man. This man is a man's man. This man has won battles. He's fought with great armies. He's had the accolades. He's the, had the praise. This is a top dog alpha male. He's a leader of men. He's a man's man. And he wouldn't stoop to speak to people like that. He goes to the most important person in the kingdom because he's important. There's pride in his position. He goes to the king because he's an important man and important men have audiences with kings because kings can pull strings. Now that rhymes, but don't write that down. Now those servant girls, what can they do? 
They sweep floors. They pull things out of drains. They're not very important. Naaman's going to talk to the king. And so he goes and he talks to the king and the text tells us, yes, yes, go and now and I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. You ever go and apply for a job someplace and, and they say, you know somebody in there? And they're like, don't worry, you got it in. I'll write you a note. That's what's going on here. I'll write you a note. I'll communicate it to the, 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 the nation. And, and who does the king write to? Well, another king. Writes him a little note. Remember the little servant girl, what she said though? She didn't say there was a king who could heal him. She said there was a prophet who could heal him. But Naaman's going to the king. Big, strong, generalissimo Naaman. Pride in his position. I do things. I'm important. He goes to a king. But God opposes the proud. Naaman packs up. He gets his tribute ready, and he, because he's big and important, he's got big and important gifts to give. Here's his gift. He gets his gift ready. Look at verse 5. So he went. He takes with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing, luxurious items. The modern-day equivalent, say some commentators, is about $2 million he takes in tribute. Verse 6, and he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. I want you to see this. Naaman's pride, the pride that's locked up in Naaman's heart, is rooted in his position. Here's the second P, though. It's also rooted in his possessions. It's rooted in the things that he has. He's a self-sufficient person. I have what I need. I don't need you to get me anything. I'm important. I have the money. I have the resources. I, if I don't have what I need, I can go out and get it myself. I don't need you. I'm a guy who can stand in front of kings. He is certain, Naaman is, he's certain that he will get what he wants, namely cured of leprosy, because he's got the money to do this. It's not hard to... Imagine thinking that today as well, is it? It's not hard to imagine having $2 million and walking in someplace and getting some service. I don't know if you know this, but uh, Canada produced a few years back a million-dollar coin. And they made about six of them. This is what they look like. Here's the front and the back. Million-dollar coins. kind of deceiving. You, you can't tell from this picture how big they are. Uh, one of these is in the ROM, if you've ever seen it. One of them is in the Mint in Ottawa. One of them, of course, is a coffee table in Dubai. And then one of them was stolen from Germany. And there's another one out there somewhere. But this, these coins are not this small. They're about this big. And they're about that thick. Solid, pure gold. One million dollar face value on it. It's not hard to imagine, is it? Walking in on a Black Friday sale with two of those bad boys <laughs> into the gap and saying, hey, can, I, can I get some service here? Can someone help me with, 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 with khakis? Can they help me? You can imagine that happening, right? You're going to get cert. You got money. That's how this world works, just like how it worked with Naaman's time. He's got $2 million. He's going to get what he needs. He's got everything he needs. You get what you want when you have this kind of loot. That's not the response Naaman gets, though. Look at verse 7. And when the king of Israel, the second king, read the letter... He tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and make alive? That this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider 
and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. Here's the response Naaman thinks he's going to get. Yeah, perfect. Let's get you healed. Move you over to the line, get you set up, get you cured, all set. That's the response Naaman thinks he's going to get with his money and his position. That's not the response he gets. The response he gets is a king who tears his clothes and says, what am I, Dr. Quinn, medicine woman? I can't heal this guy. What am I, what am I going to work some magic and heal this guy? And so in great grief, he tears his clothes and thinks, you know what's happening here? This is entrapment. The king of Syria is bringing me this hopeless case, and I'm asked to heal. I'm asked to heal him. Like, I can do that. And then when I can't do that, the king of Syria is going to say, I told you you couldn't heal. Let's declare war again. Let's go plunder them again. It's entrapment. Ripping of clothes. I've always found this part to be kind of comical. So far in our story, we have a big, strong general, but a leper. We have a little servant girl. We've got one king and then another king who's now half naked. (laughs) And no cure. Nothing at all. What's happening here? God is opposing the proud. He humbles this general right now. Hey, Naaman, with all of your connections. Hey, Naaman, with all of your power. Hey, Naaman, with all the accolades and all the ribbons on your chest and the fact that you can go in and talk to... Hey, Naaman, how's that healing going? How's your position working for you? Hey, Naaman, how about with all your possessions, all the loot, all the money, how's that healing going for you? God is opposing the proud. Now, thankfully, the prophet the one he was sent to see but never saw. Thankfully, the prophet is doing his thing and prophesying and understanding that something's going on. He sends word. He writes to stop this crazy train, verse 8. Now, when Elisha, that's the protege of Elijah, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. You come to me, says Elijah. Come by my house. We'll see what we can do. Verse 9. So Naaman came with his chariots and his horses. Is Naaman learning? Not yet. And he stood at the door of Elisha's house. Verse 10. And Elisha sent a messenger to him. Now remember... Naaman is a leper, so the holy man can't directly talk with him. So he sends the messenger out to him and says to him, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean, Naaman. That's all you got to do. That's it. Just listen to the truth from the prophet of the Lord. Listen to the messenger delivering the truth of God. Go and wash seven times in the Jordan River and you will be healed. Naaman, it's just that simple. Just do that. Verse 11. But Naaman was angry. And this takes us to the third characteristic of pride in our passage. Pride isn't Roots, pride roots in our position, pride roots in our possessions, but now pride thirdly does this, it roots in perspective. And pride says things like, I understand the situation better than you could ever do. 
I know what needs to be done. You don't know. I know. I'm the final authority. I get it. You don't. Verse 11. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. This is comical as well. What's, Na- what's Naaman saying right here? He's saying, what's, what, what's, what's going on? What kind of service is this? This is ridiculous. One star on Google here for this. You, 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 I come to your house. You'd think the guy would, I don't know, look at me? Maybe open the door, wave his hands, heal me? Doesn't he know who I am? Doesn't he, know, doesn't he see the baggage train? Doesn't he see the horses and the... Ch- doesn't he know? Ah, oh, this is ridiculous. I know what should be done. It's not getting done, though. He's not even doing it. I understand things better than him. Naaman is a proud man. Pride is bolted onto his perspective. But God is opposing the proud. And now the final characteristic of pride. Look at verse 12. Let's go back to the general again. Verse 12. Are not Abana and Parfar, what are those? Look at the text. Oh, the rivers of Damascus. Aren't they better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? Here's the fourth characteristic of pride in our lives. Pride anchors into our power power that says, I don't need your help for anything. I'll do this on my own. I don't need you. Now, I haven't been to the Jordan River. Some of you have, um, but I've seen pictures of it. And I'll tell you what, what, what's true about it. It's very, very hard to find a picture of the Jordan River with clear water in it. It's a silty, muddy river. So you can picture the general looking at the muddy river of the Jordan and saying, are you kidding me? Go into the muddy river seven times and be clean. I had to travel hundreds of miles to dunk myself in a muddy, dirty river. I could have done this at home. I didn't need to come here for these dirty river cleaning here. I could have done it at home. Well, apparently not, Naaman. Because God is opposing the proud. So here's our story so far. You've got a servant girl, a partially clothed king, a prophet who won't even open the door, and a muddy river. Does that make sense to you at all, Naaman? That doesn't make sense to Naaman. You got a life that makes sense? You got something in your life right now that doesn't make sense at all? You sat down in fourth grade and wrote out your life and said, this is what my life is going to look like. Does it look like it now? Could it be that maybe God is opposing pride in your life as well? You see, what God's doing with Naaman is he's dismantling the pride as it anchors into his life in these four categories right here. His position, his possession, his perspective, and his power. Naaman's holding on to pride. I'm a very important person. I have so much to offer. I know better than anyone else, and I can solve this myself. And what's happening now is this pride is causing Naaman to rest in himself and himself alone. When things get difficult, he trusts in himself. When things get 
when a trial comes in, he can rely upon his position. I can make it go away. I can spend it away. I can think it away. I have the power and the strength to take it away, except for one thing in Naaman's life, which is his leprosy. None of this is working because God is opposing him and breaking down pride in his life. You got an area like this in your life? Nothing is working. Nothing is changing. See, what Naaman has done is he's built a little stool to rest upon, something like this. This, this is an amazing stool I put together the other day. See how awesome this stool is? Let me just put this leg back on here. I got a yellow stick on the side of it. I got a free hockey stick from Little Caesar's Pizza. This is a great stool. I'm going to sit on this stool in front of y'all. Actually, maybe not. Maybe one of you wants to come and sit there. You get a real close view to the sermon. No? You're looking at that saying, that thing won't even hold a squirrel, let alone a full-size man. You can, nothing, that won't carry the weight. That won't hold you when you need to be held. That's not going to carry any weight at all. You see, that's what God's doing to Naaman. Naaman, you're trusted in in your power, your position, your perspective, your possessions. You're trusting in things that won't carry the weight. You think that stool's gonna hold you when the leprosy comes? It's not. It's not gonna answer. You can't fix it. Have you got something like this in your story as well? You got a little stool you put together? You're resting on your own strength? You're resting on your own possessions? You're resting on your own status, your own abilities? And God's saying to you, that's not going to hold you. What are you going to do when you're laying in bed and the sickness won't go away? What are you going to do when you face the trial in your family? What are you going to do when you get the phone call at two in the morning? Do you think that stool's going to hold you? And so God, in his grace, comes along and one by one knocks the legs down and takes the stool away and leaves the general with absolutely nothing. And then we run into a fifth characteristic of pride. Oh, I'll have to fix that later. <laughs> then we run into a fifth characteristic of pride, which is really an interesting one. Look at verse 12. Look at how it ends. God opposes the proud. Now look at what Naaman does. So he turned and went away in rage. That's where pride takes you. Proverbs talks about this in Proverbs 19. It says, when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. Why isn't it working? Why can't I fix it? Maybe God's opposing the pride in your life. You honest enough to take this test with me? Do you see these things in your life? See, the general has come with a puffed out chest in his entourage, connected to two kings, $2 million, and filled with pride, and God has opposed him at every step. Why is God opposing him? Because he doesn't want him to have any fun or any strength? No. Because God knows that that stool's not going to hold him. And God's going to give him, in love, something far greater. God's going to give him the grace to see where real life is found. Verse 13, Naaman's in a rage. But his servants came to him. 
They came near, and they said to him, by the way, would you have come near to him in a rage, this general? But they love him. Look at the words they use. My father. It's a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? Now, I want you to see this. This is the moment of God's grace now reaching the humbled heart. Everything has been taken away from the general. He's lost it all. He's, nothing will move it. Nothing will fix it. Nothing will change the situation. He's got nothing left, and he's broken and humble. And now God says, okay, now he's ready. Go one more time to him. Go one more time and tell him the truth. Go one more time and give him the word that I've told you. Go one more time. He'll listen to you now. The pride is gone. He's broken. Go one more time. And the grace of God reaches the general. And watch what he does in verse 14. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. <laughs> Not just healed, people, restored. Like, like not just back to normal 30, 40-year-old skin now with the blemishes and the scratch. No, baby skin. Have you ever touched baby? Have you touched baby skin recently? You know what it's like? You're like, am I touching anything? It's so soft. It doesn't feel like your skin, I'll be honest with you. It doesn't feel like my skin either. It's soft. So, so, so general with the sores, with the scabs, with the brokenness, with the, with the scars, goes into the water. Maybe the healing happened gradually over the seven, or maybe it happened instantly at the seventh. We don't know. God's word doesn't tell us. But what we do know is the man comes up out of the water at the seventh time, and now we see general baby skin. Healed. Like, take that, Botox. Take that, dermatologist. All healed, all better, all, I can just imagine, I've, I've looked this up in artwork and like, what does this look like? And all the artwork is, I don't think it's, it's sufficient because they all have Naaman coming out of the water and looking at his hands like, wow, isn't that interesting? Like, wow, I found a taco, kind of wow. <laughs> Not, whoa, look at my skin. I'm, I'm baby skin man now. And you can imagine all of his friends and all of the entourage with him are cheering and hooting and rejoicing and laughing, I bet laughing. But there's a, there's a better miracle here because the story doesn't just end. He doesn't just say, sweet, thanks for the healing and walk home. I came to get my skin healed, skin's healed and he goes home. No, 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 no. no. He hasn't just visited a dermatologist, so to speak. He's also gone to the cardiologist. His heart's changed. This is a different man that we're looking at right now. And let's go to the second point in our outline. God's changed this man, and now what we're gonna see, as the grace of God reaches Naaman, a humble man, and so we'll ask the second question, am I a humble person? Am I a humble person? Well, God will give grace to me. Now let me introduce you. I've introduced you to the general already, that part played by Naaman. I wanna introduce you now to the servant in our story, the second character also played by Naaman. Look at verse 15. And then he returned, I bet laughing. I bet smiling from ear to ear. I bet jumping up and down. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, 
And he came and stood before him and he said, behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So now accept this present from your servant. The party's died down. Naaman returns with his people. The general's gone. And now the servant comes. And just as I told you, there are markers to pride in your life. Those four Ps are also visible in humility in our lives. Naaman now views his position, his power, his possessions completely different. Look at this, how he views his position. I've already told you this. He's now a servant of the Lord. Before he was big, before he was important, before he was amazing, now I'm a servant of the Lord. Before, pride said, look at me, look at me, look at me. Now humility says, look at him, look at him, look at him and what he's done. The humbling has occurred in his life, and this is a different man. With humility in the life of a Christ follower, a radical shift in our understanding occurs as well. How do you view yourself this morning? Look at me, look at me, look at me. Or look at him and all he has done for me. It doesn't stop there, though. God has humbled every part of Naaman. Grace has reached him at every part. It's affected the way he's viewed himself and his position. He's gone from a general to a servant, but I want you to see how he, how he views his possessions now. Before, the general was like, look at all I have to offer, two million. I can, I can get what I want. I can buy what I want. Now the servant says, whatever I have is yours. Just take it. I'm not paying for things. I'm giving it now. Everything I have belongs to the Lord. Verse 15 again, behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so now accept a present from your servant. But he, this is Elisha, said to him, as the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I will receive none. Elisha has been told by the Lord, this one you don't take payment for. So no, I can't take it. And he, the general, urged him to take it, but he, the prophet, refused. So here's Mr. Two Million Dollars trying to give away his stuff. Please take it, please take it, please take it. It means so little to me. What's happened in Naaman's life is that he has received a greater gift. He has understood in a greater capacity who this God is. And receiving life in him, money has no value on him anymore. There's been a greater gift given to him. You know what else happens in the follower of Jesus Christ? As we begin to become more and more and more like Jesus Christ, we begin to look more and more and more like him in his generosity. Remember the generosity of our Lord Jesus Christ? Though he was rich, he became poor for our sake. He gave his life for our sake. He gave everything for us. And as we begin to look more and more like Jesus Christ, we begin to look more and more like radically generous people in this life. One of the great markers of humility in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ is that you are radically generous with the things the Lord has entrusted to you. So let me ask you the question this morning. Do you own the stuff you have? Or who does it really belong to? Well, Nathan, Naaman says it belongs to the Lord. He's trying to put the stuff into Elisha's hands. Elisha says, no, I, I can't. The Lord has said no for this one. Now verse 17 well, then Naaman said, okay, if not, if not, then please let there be given to your servant. There's that word again. Please give to me two mule loads of earth. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any other God but the Lord. Okay, so put yourself in Naaman's shoes for just a second. He's traveled hundreds of miles to meet with a prophet. He has been healed by going into the Jordan River. He comes out of the Jordan River healed, and what is he asking for? Not water, which you would think you would ask for. I need more of that magic water. He doesn't want the water because he knows the water isn't magic. He wants dirt. 
Now, that seems strange. What you need to know is that in the ancient Near East, deities were tied to dirt. So if you were traveling across a border and walking into a new land, you would ask the, 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 the resident of the new land, hey, what deity is worshipped here? You see this as, as deities would mark the borderlines of former provinces. They would walk in, okay, we worship this god in this land, okay. That begins to give us a little bit of insight into the prophet Jonah who tries to escape from the presence of the Lord. We laugh at that, but that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to escape the dirt that this God rules over. Now, over and over again in Scripture, our God will declare that he is the God over everything. He made it all. It all belongs to him. You can't leave our God. All dirt belongs to him. No matter where you step on this world, he is the God over it. Naaman doesn't understand that. We can forgive his theology. We can understand his heart, though. His heart that says, give me the dirt because my perspective has changed. And now my perspective says not, I can answer anything, but I need the Lord. I need to take him with me wherever I would go. Getting healed for Naaman isn't enough. Now he needs the Lord. I want more of him. Give me more of him still. And that's humility. That's a marker of humility. When my perspective begins to change, now I'm stopping saying things like, oh, I, I know better. I can do anything to now up to the point where I'm saying, I need the Lord. I can't do anything. I need him in my life. Is that your heart this morning? Now verse 18, give me the dirt, he says, in verse 18, in this matter, may the Lord, may the Lord pardon your servant, that's that word again, your servant, when my master, the king, the king of Syria, goes into the house of Rimmon, the false god, to worship there, leaning on my arm because he's weak and frail, and, and, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, when I bow myself in the house of this false god, he says, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. Please forgive me, he says. Will the Lord forgive me? I, I am a general. I need to go back. I have a family. I need to go back and do the job I was called to do before. My king worships the false god. I help him. I help him walk in. Am I allowed to do this? Can I still do this? You see this shift here in humility? No longer is it, I can do anything I want. Now it's, I can't do anything unless the Lord helps me. Please, would the Lord help me? I can't do it apart from him. I can't solve it. I can't fix it. I need the Lord. Unless the Lord forgives, I can't move. I can't do it. In verse 19, and this is where we'll end our text today, Elisha, the prophet, the messenger of God, on behalf of God says to Naaman, go in peace. Yes, the Lord will forgive you. And maybe that's, maybe that's the fifth characteristic of humility in our life, where pride leads me to rage Humility leads me to peace. So the question I gave you is at the beginning, I'll give you again. What side are we on in James 4, 6? God opposes the proud side? Are there areas in my life where God is breaking me down? God gives grace to the humble side. I bet you if you're like me, there's a little bit of both. There's areas in my life where pride persists. There's areas of my life where I'm still thinking that I can take care of it in my own strength, with my own money, with my own intelligence, with my own status. I can fix it myself. I can fix it myself. And God comes along and lovingly kicks out the stool from my life. Maybe you're a bit like me. Isn't there so much at stake here? We need the grace of God in our lives. We need the grace of God in our families this year. We need the grace of God in our workplaces this year. We need the grace of God to walk in obedience to the Lord this year and put to death the sins that so easily entangle 
and to run with perseverance the race that's set before us. We need the grace of God to walk by faith day and day. We need the grace of God. So may the Lord humble us. Now here's the thing you need to know as we end. Yes, God opposes the proud, but he gives freely, freely and generously grace to the humble. And God will humble us. We can't do this apart from him. We can't do this apart from the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here again is where the gospel comes in. You and I, in our weakness, in our frailty, in our powerlessness, cannot do what only God can do in us. And so we end our time together calling out to the Lord, asking God, would you increase my faith this year to cling to you? Would you increase my faith this year to break down the pride in my life? These, these things I set up that think I can hold my... God, would you break them down in my life that I might walk in obedience today to face the struggle in my home, to face the struggle with my health, to face the struggle with my family, the struggle at work, the struggle in my own heart. I need your grace today. Would you come? Would you change me? I'm still a general in so many ways. I need to be made a servant. Would you meet me and change me? Let's pray. God, we are asking you to do what only you can do. That you would break down hardened hearts, mine included. There are areas of pride in my life where I think I can do it. And there are areas of pride in my life that, that you want to break down so you can give grace and help in time of need. We ask, Lord, that you would do what only you can do. We thank you, Lord, that, that you lovingly remove these chairs from our lives. They can't carry the weight. They won't hold us in the darkest times. They won't hold us in the hurt. We need you, Lord. Break us down that we might cling to you by faith. So we pray, Lord, at the end of this message that you would increase our faith, that you would give us eyes to see you and your great love for us that calls us to you, that your strength be found in our lives. We don't have to be strong. You are unstoppably strong. We don't have to be wise to fix the solution. You are omniscient. We don't have to reach into the hearts of other people who are involved to fix the situation. You can do all this. You can do anything. Your strength is sufficient for us. Your power is perfected in our weakness. Give us faith to see this. Give us faith to run to you now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.